0: Find uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. One of the mountain peak passages in the Bible. Isaiah 40. I know a guy up the road at First Baptist of Durham, no relation to me as far as I know, Dr. Andy Davis, uh, When he preached through the book of Isaiah, 1st Baptist of Durham, he memorized the entire book of Isaiah. The entire book. And he's known for that anyway, for memorizing humongous chunks of the Bible. So uh, I was going to say Isaiah 40 would be a good chapter to memorize. And just in case some of you pushed back on that, said, what? Memorize a chapter? I want you to know, hey, here's a guy that's memorized 66 chapters. But uh, anyway, Pick, I'm going to talk tonight about keeping life in balance. And beginning in verse 6, we'll read uh, and read through the chapter. And we'll camp out and end some on verse 31. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing, and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Well, the holidays are upon us, right? It's hard to believe that we're in the world has this year gone with the holidays comes what busyness stress more stress and busyness than normal and people pushing and shoving at the malls and buying gifts right people be frantically looking for that perfect gift to give every member of their family for other people it's a time of depression sadness Loneliness. And so at the holiday, you know, for those people, there may be empty chairs around the table. And we need to remember those in our church family, as we said earlier, who have lost loved ones this year, have lost a spouse, for instance. But for most, it's a time of increased stress. You know, stress has become the accepted, in vogue, disease or ailment in America. Some people even pride themselves on how much stress they endure, right? (laughs) Uh, Time Magazine once reported, said in the past 30 years, doctors and health officials have come to realize how heavy a toll stress is taking on the nation's well-being. According to the American Academy of Family Physicians, two-thirds of office visits to family doctors are prompted by stress-related illnesses, two-thirds. The article went on to report that the effects of stress cost American businesses 50 to $75 billion a year, more than $750 for every single American worker. The article went on even further to say that stress is a major contributor, either directly or indirectly, to coronary heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidental injuries, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide. Now, folks, for the busyness and stress of the holidays, Isaiah 40 has a word for us, doesn't it. Now, you may remember the context. God through the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to that time when his people, uh, when, when Judah will be coming home from the Babylonian captivity. Remember the 10 tribes of the northern kingdom, Israel, they've been destroyed by the Assyrians. And so they're, they're out of the picture in, in the Old Testament from then on. And then God disciplined Judah the two tribes of Judah, the southern kingdom, sent them away into Babylon for 70 years. He preserved the southern kingdom, those two tribes, and brought them back. Now, why did he preserve those two tribes? Because of Abraham. Well, because, certainly because of the promise to Abraham. But why even more so did he preserve? That was to the royal line to the Messiah. Exactly. So uh, anyway, he, Isaiah is looking forward to that time that they're going to be coming back. And the thought of coming back home was a time of joy, but it was also a time of stress. Now why would it be a time of stress? Because they were going to get back home and see how destroyed their country and their city and their homes and the temple uh, were. Utterly destroyed. And they were going to have to rebuild everything. So a time of joy going back home, yes. But also a time of a lot of work ahead. A lot of stress. A lot of busyness. Now, whether it's them at this time or us now, Isaiah 40 is a promise that amidst the stressful times in life, there can be perfect peace and rest in the Lord. It's a promise. But it's a promise I want you to notice based upon who God is. Isaiah 40 is a very God-centered chapter. You know, when we get a fresh look at who God is and what He's done, then we come to understand what He can do now. And what he is doing. Now the first thing I want you to see with me tonight is the uncertainty of life. The uncertainty of life. There in verse 6, we read it at the beginning. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. We see that quoted in the New Testament, don't we? For instance, at the end of 1 Peter chapter 1, we see it quoted. We we see other times in the New Testament where there's the imagery of, of flowers and grass and how it withers. It reminds me of James chapter 4. When James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So instead, he said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. The uncertainty of life. Life is brief. Some people pass away at times that we would have never seen it coming. Even in life, we, we miss out sometimes on how uncertain life is. We kind of presume upon the future, don't we? And when we do that, we often emphasize the wrong things. You know, King Solomon did in the Old Testament, didn't he? Emphasized all the wrong things. And you remember his verdict that he ended up saying about it all, everything he had done in life? What was that one word that he used? Vanity. 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 He became disillusioned with life because he he had focused on all of the wrong things. He'd wasted much of his life on the wrong thing. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Folks, this holiday season we need to keep our focus on what's really important, don't we? Don't take your eyes off of what's really important. If you do, you might get discouraged and disillusioned. You might get stressed out. Keep your eye where it needs to be, on the Lord. And that's what he moves to talk about next. Uh, secondly, I want you to see the immutability of God. The immutability of God. Uh, beginning in verse 8, and then as we read down through a good bit of the chapter, I won't read all of those verses again. But what he's saying there in those verses, you know, our lives might be uncertain, but God is steadfast and true. He's omnipotent, omniscient omnipresent he's steadfast he's true he's faithful now in speaking of God notice where he begins he begins with the word of God there in verse 6 and following and he talks about the dependability of God's word that his word will stand forever So folks, in busy times of life, stressful times of life, what do we need to do? We need to keep ourselves grounded in God's Word. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but the busier you get in life, the more you need to be in God's Word. Let me suggest right now this this month of the year, Go back and really study and reread the Christmas narratives a lot. The birth narratives. Really study those and and dwell on those. Buy a good devotional book. Dive into it. Don't don't rely on a devotional book to be all of your daily devotions because normally they're pretty lightweight. Dig in deeper. But maybe start there. You know, the scripture says of Jesus that amidst the busyness of his life when he first started his public ministry and everybody was grabbing a hold of him, trying to get time with him, trying to get a word with him in his help. You remember what Mark 1.35 says? Early in the morning, before it was daylight, he went away to a secluded place. And there he communed with his father. Remember why God said also to Joshua, Joshua, be strong. This book of the law, meditate in it day and night. Don't let it pass from your lips or your heart or mind. Meditate on it. Then you shall find success in all that you do. The importance even, I mean, here was Joshua about to lead the people, all the busyness that he was about, the stress he was to be about uh, right right there the, the, the next days. And he was to be grounded in God's Word. And again, Jesus, at the very beginning of his earthly ministry, he took time to be grounded in communion with his Heavenly Father and in the Word. So if you, if you notice these saints in the Bible spent time in the Lord and even more so maybe in the busiest times of their lives, don't you think you and I need that too? Well, then he goes on to talk about the work of the Lord, beginning there in verse 11. He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. God will shepherd his people. God is this transcendent, awesome, all-powerful God, but that does not mean That he is too powerful or too busy himself to be unconcerned with us. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's near his people, he's not forgotten you. In the New Testament birth narratives, Joseph was told to call his name what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's with us. This great, majestic, mighty God that Isaiah is describing here is also with his people and he shepherds his people. He's near. I think of Jacob when Jacob and his mom Rebecca pulled their little stunt and he tricked his dad. Got the birthright from his brother. His brother was gonna kill killed, so his mom said, "You need to go away." And you know, he's going to her people to to find a wife. And he's, he's concerned. He's never been away from home. Jacob's been kind of a home homebody and a mama's boy, right? And here he is out in the wilderness, headed towards Laban and and all of Laban's kin folks and. He gets along with God and what does God show him that night? Remember that ladder? The, you know, his head laid on the stone and he woke up and realized he was, he was in the very presence of God. <clears throat> and God's word to Jacob was, I am near. I am with you, Jacob, wherever you are. God. This transcendent, mighty, all-powerful God is with his people. In verse 12 he goes on to talk about more of the work of God that that he's creator God. I mean look at what he's done. Uh, He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand Marked off the heavens with the span. Span would be from the tip of your pinky finger to the tip, uh, tip of your thumb. He's measured off the heavens with the span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. I mean, he's a mighty God. Look what he's done in creation. He said, Let there be light, and, and there was light. Somebody's estimated, I don't know how they come up with these measurements, that the oceans of the world contain more than 340 quintillion gallons of water, and yet God holds them in the hollow of his hand. The earth weighs six sextillion metric tons, and yet God says it's just dust on the scales. The known universe stretches more than 30 billion light years, but God measures it by the span of his hand. Scientists say there's 100 billion galaxies, and each galaxy is made up of about 100 billion stars. To such mind-boggling numbers, Isaiah reminds us here that God knows each one calls each one of the heavenly hosts out by name. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And yet again, verse 11 said what? He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. The word of God, the works of God. Then he moves on to continue to talk about the wonders of God. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? There's none like him. The other gods are nothing more than idols, as he goes on to talk about here, and the ridiculousness of idols. Other places in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and Jeremiah, they, they mock idolatry. Somebody goes out, and I think it was Jeremiah that talked about, somebody goes out cuts down a big tree, takes takes lumber and builds his house with part of it, chops some of it up as fire to keep himself warm and cook his food over, and then carries another piece of it down to a craftsman to make an idol out of it. He stands up, that idol bows down to it and says, you're my God. It's a dumb piece of wood. Can't hear, can't speak, can't see, can't do anything. It's a dead piece of wood. The foolishness of that. But look at verse 21 by way of contrast. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, who makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Sits above the circle of the earth. Maybe if early man who th- thought hundreds of years ago thought the world was flat, maybe if they read this, they would have seen sits above the circle of the earth, stretches out the uh, heavens like a curtain, reduces rulers to nothing. Look look back at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as, as dust on the scales. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Folks, we're not to put our trust in governments and nations. Our trust is to be in the Lord. There's none like him. Verse 26, he brings out, he's talking about the starry host and all the heavenly bodies, brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of His might and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. Have you ever had the privilege of maybe going far, far, far outside of the city lights into a pitch black portion of the country and looking up on a clear night? There's stars up there. <laughs> city lights, you might look up there and say, well, there's one, there's one. Get out somewhere where there's no lights and look up, and you're like, whoa! He knows them all by now. What's the lesson that Isaiah is showing us? The lesson that God's showing us through Isaiah don't lose sight of God. He can take care of you. Life may be busy. It might be stressful. It might be hard. But God, this awesome, mighty God who has done wonders, He leads His sheep. He's the shepherd. Thirdly, I want you to see tonight the challenge to man. Verse 26, He says, Lift up your eyes on high He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength. The challenge to man, folks, is that there are some precepts that we need to understand. You and I need to keep our eyes on God because our way is not hidden to him. I don't care what you've got going on in your life. I don't care how stressful this time of year may be on you and Sometimes you feel like uh, you're the donut man in that commercial. You meet yourself coming and going, you know, making a donut. Time to make the donuts again. You remember that commercial? Anyway, our way amidst all the challenges and stresses of life, our way is not hidden to the Lord. What a comfort that is. Maybe, maybe you sometimes feel like, God doesn't understand everything I've got on me. God don't understand what I'm up against. Maybe, maybe I got more in life than's really fair. No, the truth of the matter is, according to these verses, God sees your pathway very closely. He knows exactly what you're up against. He knows exactly your challenges. And he's given you the place and position that he wants you to have. Knows exactly where you are, what you're up against. He knows if your burden is heavy or light. He's not lost sight of you. We're the ones who lose sight of him. He's not lost sight of you. You know, it's interesting how these folks here, uh, Israel and, and Judah how they felt like God had lost sight of them, it was actually the other way around. Our way's not hidden to it. That's a precept you need to understand. Another one you need to understand. He doesn't become weary. We get tired, God doesn't. The psalmist said, he never slumbers nor sleeps. God doesn't need rest. You don't have to go wake him up. Wake up, God. I need to need to pray, to pray for something. Wake up. Doesn't slumber or sleep. A third precept. He doesn't lack wisdom. He doesn't lack wisdom. He says there in verse 28, near the end of the verse, his understanding is unsearchable. We lack wisdom, God doesn't. And that's why James says in James 1 if you're going through a trial and you lack wisdom, ask of God who grants, gives men, all men, wisdom liberally and without finding fault. God's the giver of wisdom. And then a fourth precept we see here God gives strength, He gives power to the faint. Folks, there are promises in all of this that we can abide in. Verses 30 and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. New strength. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. He points out here everybody gets weary and burdened in life. Everybody. Even young people, young men in the strength of their youth get weary and tired and faint. But he says those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. I want you to look at that word, wait there. It's a very interesting word in the Hebrew. Uh, It's not a passive term. as the word is in English. In English, you know, we think of just kind of sitting back, stretching out, waiting, passive. But the Hebrew word actually describes when he says wait on the Lord, pursuing the Lord, being bound to the Lord, being twisted together with him like a rope, the different cords on a rope being twisted together. we're to to wait on him in in a very active way like this going after him binding our lives to him serving him worshiping him ministering to him our English word doesn't communicate this we have a job in America that maybe sheds a little bit of light on this word you run into him every day Maybe today, if you ate out. A waiter. Did your waiter just sit back in a corner and ignore you and chill and let you do? No, he very actively or she very actively attended to you. At least they did if they wanted a tip, right? (laughs) So this, the, again, the Hebrew word uh, it is, is a very active pursuing type word. We to hunger for God, thirst for Him, pursue Him, keep our eyes on Him. And as we do so, we're filled, we're satisfied, we're strengthened. Strength comes from waiting on the Lord, pursuing Him. See, some people this holiday season do just the opposite. You'll just get busy. You'll forget about Him. And then your own strength won't happen. You'll get weird. And that's why I say in the midst of it all, the busyness of the holidays, pursue Him. And as you do so, He gives you strength. He gives you strength. We're infused with His strength. And not only that, but his perfect peace. You know, living in our strength also makes us vulnerable to Satan, but a little peace. Uh, of course it's 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 a story, you know. Um, kind of would remind you of Screwtape Letters by C. S. Lewis. Satan called a worldwide convention in his opening address to his evil angels, the demons, he said. We can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church, let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so they can't gain that experience in Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, demons. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this, shouted his angels. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade them to work for long hours, seven, six, seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day, so they can afford their greedy lifestyles. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work and life. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to play the radio or different devices they they have. When they're driving, when they're at home, when they're at work, keep their TVs and everything, PCs, going constantly in their homes. Uh, See to it that every store and restaurant in the world is is playing non-biblical music constantly. Jam their minds with things of the world constantly. Fill the coffee tables with magazines, newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving moments with billboard after billboard. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail, sweepstakes, mail order catalogs, every kind of newsletter and promotional offering, free products, services, and false hopes. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation Not recreated, but exhausted and disquieted. Don't let them go out in nature and reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, movies, anything instead. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip, backbiting, small talk. So when they leave, they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions crowd their lives, crowd their lives. They have no time to spend with Christ and have no power in Him. And soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and their family for the good of the cause. It was quite a convention in the end. And the demons went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 rushing here and there, good. By living in our strength, we worry. We lose strength. We lose focus. We face. We 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 lose the uh, uh, abundant life that Jesus intended us to have. By failing to pursue God, by living in our own strength, we even neglect the day of rest that God's given us. We're twenty four seven society now. We're paying a huge price for it because we weren't made to go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You see, we're to wait on God. And God renews us, strengthens us. The word renewed here is interesting. It refers to literally the fact that it's as though God makes an exchange with us. We bring Him our. We bring him our weariness, our burdens, our stresses, and he gives his strength. We're renewed. We're renewed. That's what God does for the sheep of his pasture when their lives are bound up together with him. And then lastly, he gives one more promise here. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. You know, the the eagle is an amazing bird. It, it is a masterful aerodynamic specimen. Its bones have air cavities. They're very strong bones, but yet they have air cavities allowing them to lift even higher and higher on the currents. The muscles that Extend the wings out are designed in such a way that they can be extended out for a very long period of time without getting tired. From one end to the other, the bird is designed in such a way to make it buoyant. Virtually all it needs to do to fly is just spread its wings and the bird will be lifted up. When other birds can go no higher, the eagle can keep going higher and higher and higher. Airplane pilots have reported seeing eagles at extremely high altitudes. They normally fly. They can fly about 50 miles an hour with a good tailwind. They can get up to 100 miles an hour. God's made the eagle to be a flying machine. But here again... He says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weird. They shall walk and not faint. What an invitation to abide in the Lord. Keep our eyes on Him and abide in the Lord when everything around us might be prompting us to do the exact opposite. We can choose to go through the holidays in our own strength. You know what? If you do that, probably there's going to be something about the holidays might even be misery to you. Right? Or we can pursue God and wait on Him and be bound up with Him and there's joy and strength in each day. In each day. Are you tired and weary in life? Are you stressed out in life? I think if you look with honest introspection, you may find that during times of business, you've maybe pulled back in some sense from pursuing after the Lord. Maybe you think you don't have time to pursue after him when in reality you don't have time not to. Wait on him. Pursue him. Get to know him. Don't let the lights and the noise of the holiday take you away from what's most important in the believer's life. And that's God. Keep your life in balance for the holidays by keeping your eyes on Him. And He'll help you to do what you need to do. He'll give you strength. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you power in the midst of it all. Amen? I dare you. Memorize the chapter. I dare you.